0: Everybody, and welcome to another episode of Half Ashed. My name is Craig Schneider, and that gentleman, 1850 miles southeast of me, is none other than Senor Keep Fischer And we are coming to you live for the 146th and a half time on this third day of no, th- third day, fourth day, third day, still third day of June 2016, Friday night, live just as we often are. Good evening, everybody. Mr. Fisher, how are you, sir?
1: I'm um, fur to midland.
0: Fur to midland. Does that mean you have a lot of hair and you're living somewhere <laughs> around the equator?
1: No, this means I'm doing all right, I reckon.
0: That means you're still in touch with those hillbilly roots.
1: Yep. What are I well, is I, uh,
0: I would expect nothing else. Somebody's got to put together a supercut of all those entries. I think actually, I think somebody has.
1: Yeah, Michael Stewart did. That was hey. like fifty episodes ago.
0: Yeah, we we well, I don't know. You do have a brain tumor, so you've probably repeated yourself without realizing mm-hmm.
1: it. Oh, I've repeated myself within the same show. What'd you say? I've repeated myself in the intro within the same show. Uh,
0: I almost got you to repeat yourself already. Mhm. Nah, never mind. <laughs> ah, so, you know it's
1: not nice oh. to make fun of people with brain tumors. You should feel bad.
0: Oh, I do feel bad. Oh, you poor young man. It's I okay. could just kill over right you'd like now. Pat you'd, your head. You would feel like crap. <laughs> hey, i just smoked this cigar without having to talk to you. <laughs> Boy, that sounded horrible. Wow!
1: Yeah, I'm going to edit you, 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 you. You're right. You're not even going to be in the show tonight. <laughs> it's
0: yeah, tonight. It's just gonna, it'll be you talking, and then it'll be the Charlie Brown. Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> Uh, there's going to be a lot of wah-wah, I have a feeling, this evening.
1: That sounded 30s, I'll get out.
0: Well, there will be none of that. <laughs> <laughs> Aye, ay, ay. Well, you're fair to well. I'm, uh, I'm hoping that means that you haven't had any uh, colossal blowouts of the Spanish language or incredible uh, swollen bug bites or anything.
1: No, I have had a few linguistic fiascos and car troubles, but other than that, it's been pretty good the last couple of weeks.
0: Well, linguistic fiascos I can live with, because you can't take pictures of those and put them on the forum to scare the bejesus out of all of us, (laughs) like you could with your horribly swollen, insect-bit-ridden legs like you did last year.
1: Oh, yeah, I remember that. Those, whoa, those whoa, so those, do I. Jeez. That was some more kind of different bug. They call them mameys or mimes here. I don't know what they are, but they are vicious.
0: Well, hey, I got some news. Tell me. Started a new job on Tuesday.
1: Excellent. I thought you just told me Thursday, but we'll go with Tuesday.
0: Uh, no last Thursday I was done with my last job ah. and this past Tuesday I started my old my new job oh
1: cool you like oh, it I,
0: fin- I finished my first week and I do like it yeah
1: excellent that is, it that is, is really like it. good to hear
0: oh man it is really good to say i uh i have been i have been well quite quite frankly i've acted a lot like I did when I was uh hell. Uh, early twenties punk with no real care in the world, you know. It's been a good week. I've been uh, happy and jovial, and my wife doesn't know if she uh, if she likes it or is annoyed by it. So it's terrific.
1: <laughs> I don't know which which the answer is right now, but I got a feeling I know what it'll be in the next week or two if you don't change.
0: Oh, I got a pretty good idea what it's going to be in uh, a night or two. I have a feeling. <laughs> That's all right. She's got to put up with me. If she can survive the weekend, I think we'll get through it. Otherwise, touch and go. Oh. But I got a lot of rum and a ton of cigars. That'll keep me happy. So I'm good.
1: <laughs> I don't think that's a replacement for a wife.
0: Well, but maybe. I don't know. Not a replacement for a wife, but I could. <laughs> yeah, never mind. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I'm pretty sure I'd still be relatively happy. Just going to throw that out there.
1: (laughs) Man, a lot. You better hope she doesn't listen to that.
0: Oh, she doesn't listen to that. (laughs) Even if I said it to her, she wouldn't listen. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Unless somebody emails her a link to that portion of the show.
0: Yeah, those seven seconds will somehow make its way over to her.
1: (laughs) That sounds very dirty, too.
0: (laughs) It's the old uh, Billy Crystal City Slickers joke. Uh, he's, he's talking to his buddy, or he's talking to his buddies in the movie, and uh, one of them goes, Hey, so, all right, the most uh, this spaceship lands and the most beautiful woman in the world that you've ever seen gets out in front of you and all she wants is just passionate, uncontrollable sex. And then she gets back on the spaceship and she goes back to the alien planet she came from. Would you do it or not? And Billy Crystal goes... No, I wouldn't do it because that exact same thing happened to my cousin and his wife found out from the women at the beauty shop. They know everything and they'll always get back to her. <laughs> it's that sort of a thing. They always find a way. Even if it's perfect, they'll always find a way to know. So you just don't do it and everybody's happy. Except me, I did do it. I said that horrible, horrible line and she will find out and I'll have to make myself a good companion out of the cigars. It's like Wilson <laughs> from Castaway. I'll have that in cigars. Enjoy. Yeah, you gotta stop letting me talk.
1: No, I get a kick out of it.
0: <laughs> well, yes, yeah, so uh started a new job, fought off a summer cold, still fighting a summer cold. Uh weather's been great, the gardens pretty well planted. I'm in terrific spirits and I'm pretty healthy. So, uh, that's me in a nutshell the last couple weeks. How about yourself?
1: I'm doing fantastic. School ended today for my kids. Christy's got to keep going. She's got to work still for another week. Uh, We're in the process of trying to move to a different house, which is good and bad. It's good because we can get a better house, better neighborhood for just a tiny bit more money. But it's bad because I hate the process of moving. Yeah. But then again, it's good because we got rid of 80% of our possessions to move here, so we don't have as much crap to try and move.
0: Well, although, you think about it, it's been a year. How much stuff can you accumulate in a year?
1: Not too much. I mean, not not stuff that piles up. We just just haven't. Well, good for you. A few pieces of furniture and whatnot that we needed after we were here. Yeah. It wasn't feasible to ship something like that down, but. Really not not just a lot.
0: Well, that's good. I'm uh, I'm happy to hear that. I was I was worried that your realization would all of a sudden uh, be yeah. So we didn't bring a lot of stuff, but somehow two kids, a wife, and myself have accumulated a lot of crap. So I'm happy to hear that's not the case.
1: No, the big difference is going to be boxes actually because we got rid of all the boxes we shipped down here, and they seem to be hard to come by here.
0: Oh, that's interesting.
1: But it's only a three or four mile move, so a lot of stuff like cabinetry and stuff can be just picked up and put on a truck loaded still.
0: (laughs) You still have a truck, right?
1: I have a pickup truck, uh, but we have friends with access to a box truck. It's going to take advantage of that.
0: Very nice. Will you be uh, moving uh, still in Tamborio, or are you going to be somewhere closer to downtown or what?
1: No, um, not any closer to downtown, kind of around the <laughs> same distance from downtown on the other side. Uh, closer to the school, actually. Oh. Closer to my favorite cigar shop. That's helpful.
0: And dangerous.
1: <laughs> not really. I don't have that many opportunities to stop by there.
0: Oh, well, but when I- you do, it'll be an easier opportunity to have. Yeah.
1: Well, Good. So when gas is 4 to $6 a gallon, every mile counts and we're, we'll be several miles closer to school, mm. which will make a big difference over a year's time.
0: Oh, absolutely. Hmm. Will you guys be uh, moving in tandem with Jeff again and his family or no? Nick. I'm sorry, Nick and Jeff. Um, second.
1: Yeah, Jeff's in Florida. Um, yes and no, that they are looking for a place as well. Both our, our leashes, leashes, leases expire at the same time and they're coming up. And we found out, like I said, we can get a more desirable place for not much more money. And it just makes sense that rather than sign on for another year here.
0: Oh yeah. Hmm. Well, he,
1: he and his family are actually in the States right now for the month of June.
0: Oh, no joke. Yeah. Would I be able to send him things to send to bring to you?
1: Maybe, but I will be in the States in July.
0: Well, I guess that makes some sense, too, because if he's going to be getting back... Wait a second. You're going to be in the States in July. Don't you have to move in July?
1: No, i in move in the next couple of weeks.
0: You are? Oh, he- heck. Yeah. I thought that wasn't happening until next month. I know the lease know. would be up in June, but...
1: No, we... Um... We actually fly out July the 3rd.
0: Wow. Well, good for you. Yeah. you got a busy month coming up.
1: Yeah, it won't be too well, bad.
0: Keep all of us surprised of uh, your schedule and any changes to half ash that we need to accommodate.
1: Yeah, I don't know what that's going to look like. I've got to sit down and figure out because we actually are going to be in the States the entire month of July pretty much. And we'll be in Florida, Tennessee, Virginia, Maryland, <laughs> Nevada.
0: Yeah. Well, good. It'll be uh, it'll be nice to to have you a little bit closer and a little bit uh, more local. We'll put it that way. Talk about that uh, uh, nationally in the global sense. Mm-hmm. Globally in the national sense. Nationally, yeah, whatever you know what I mean. Whatever, yeah. Stop giving me a hard time. Jeez. I don't know, I'm just sitting here talking to the guys <laughs> in the chat room. <laughs> you're just sitting here smoking on this punch tonight. That's what you're doing.
1: I am. And since we're like 10 minutes into this, Joker, we may want to tell people what we're smoking.
0: I am mm, uh, I think I'm a half an hour into the cigar, 15 minutes into the show. Probably should talk about it. Otherwise, we'll be giving our wrap-up when we uh, introduce it. Oh. Well... This is uh one of my favorite regional releases out of Cuba. It happens to be the two thousand and six punch super robusto um, regional edition for asia pacific um it is it measures in right at around six and an eighth inches by fifty. mine actually measures out at fifty two but that's quite all right um and you know I, as we've certainly discussed numerously the regional releases, or the REs, the regional edition, um, that have, uh, been a, they have been a pretty successful gimmick for Ibanos, uh, over the last decade or so, decade plus. This Wittola, um, roughly popularized in basic format by the Siglo 6 that came out early, excuse me, uh, late 2002, early 2003, is one of the first large ring gauge releases from the punchline, um, there is a punch double corona, and um there has previously been a punch um torpedo release, but uh not too many large Parejo sizes uh over fifty or fifty or above. The double corona is only a forty-nine, seven and five eighths by forty-nine, that typical um uh a Cuban double corona vitola, which is the prominentes Vitola name. Um This line really does benefit from the added girth by bringing a little bit of brown sugar and some citrus to the typically tangy, almost whiskey-like, spicy characteristics of the basic punch line. Um, It really is a classic performer and a standout in the already premium uh, regional release um, that regional releases all of them. I think that this cigar will become a classic in the future. It has just done nothing but perform well over the years. Cool. what uh for these those tasting notes are kind of typical wrap-ups as to what i've gotten out of these um you have any uh initial thoughts half inch inch uh into it
1: maybe even a little more I, i'm actually am progressing through this cigar very quickly um, pr- probably my own fault as a response to the the draw is fine but it's a little bit tighter than Perfect, a little bit on the tighter end of the spectrum, and I tend to tend to puff a little bit too much when that happens, and I maybe I'm smoking this a little fast, although it it doesn't seem off in the flavor or anything. I I don't, or at least thus far have not gotten the brown sugar kind of sweetness, very little sweetness at all initially. Some did come around. I can see more of that brighter citrusy kind of sweet citrus more so than the the acidic or tangy kind of thing. You may think it was citrus. It's more like a sweet orange. Um.
0: Well, I am accompanying uh, this punch tonight, the Super Robusto tonight, by a different rum than uh, is my regular pour. And this rum happens to be uh Court, which I think is a Haitian rum, if I recall correctly. We've talked about that in the past. Yeah, it's a Haitian rum. Um and it is uh, a rum that I think has a lot of like a a bitter citrus flavor to it or a sour citrus flavor to it so um, maybe that that kind of bitter sour flavor is uh, helping me to accentuate some of that brown sugar um, tends to be canceling out some of the the citrus flavors that you can get out of this line or out of this Vitola so uh, but We'll see how it goes. I'm an inch into it, just at an inch in, and uh, we have plenty of time left to develop some additional thoughts.
1: I think I've caught up with you.
0: How are you, really? Wow. Yeah,
1: I'm pretty well into it.
0: I bet I lit mine 15 minutes before you. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, take a breath. Uh, outside of the cigar for once, for Pete's sake. <laughs> <laughs> Man. Well, we, uh, we've we got a lot of legislative news items tonight. Obviously, uh, some continued, continued thoughts on the FDA, all things FDA and cigars at least. So stick around if you dare. It's sure to be another fun and informative night of cigars. And uh, well, since I'm involved, there'll be rum as well. Where's all the rum gone? Oh, I drank it. That's right.
1: Dun, 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 dun. Sorry. I got lost in thought there for a second. <clears> That's <throat>
0: quite all right.
1: Blame it on the tumor. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Why don't you uh, bust us out on that first one? I have no idea what you're speaking of. Oh,
1: this, this is not a story. I actually was thinking of this. I, I, uh, I use Google News, which is tied to your... Google account for those of you that have one. Anybody with Gmail or anything like that has one. Um, You can tag a subject or word or whatever, and get these kind of news stories. And that's that's all I've done. That's actually where these all come from. All the things we're talking about tonight. That will feed you news, and so you can go in there and tag tobacco or cigars or whatever, and it will feed you. uh, You know all for whatever region, area, country, whatever you want, uh, news stories from all around uh, that involve those terms. And it's a wealth of information. And when you watch that kind of feed, you'll see um, the trends that develop. And and I've mentioned this before, specifically with the age, uh, purchase age changes with tobacco, the sheer volume of, little towns and municipalities around the U S that are up in the age from 18 to 21 is just mind boggling Just every day multiples, this town or the city passed a new, uh, code that, that changes that or, or states even, I guess change that ups the age. And that seems to be the big trend that I see as as far as something that's happening with enough frequency that it really stands out. But, I just wanted to throw that little mention out there for folks that want to minute by minute, blow by blow of what's happening with legislation. Uh, in particular, around the U.S., uh, there's a lot going on within the U.S. right now, so it's pretty hmm. pretty prevalent.
0: I um, I get Yahoo news alerts, um, same sort of thing. I'm on. I have a Yahoo email account as well, and so I'm signed up for, I think, Cigars, Tobacco, Fidel Castro, and one or two other uh, Cuba and cigar-related news items. And uh, I have to say, I don't see many of those. That's that's uh, interesting. That Obviously, they all have access to the same uh, Reuters and AP news stories. It's interesting that I'm not getting all of those.
1: I think it's because Yahoo, they're... Um... They're probably searching uh, 1998 for the news items. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a very good point. Uh, yeah. uh, it's kind of not. I've made the same joke twice and people that weren't listening before the show. Don't know that. Oh, we weren't recording when I said that the first time. I About don't believe the, we were. The email. No. Anywho. How about we jump into a few of these because some of them may end up being a little longer than expected. Uh, Let's see. What all has happened since the last episode? The big news. It was, once again, May 31st is now an annual worldwide global celebration of World No Tobacco Day, sponsored and brought to you by the World Health Organization and the United Nations. And I... Mentioned in the notes that I celebrated this year and did my part. I had a couple of cigars that this planet needed needed to be rid of, and so I took care of those in a series of small fires and celebrated World No Tobacco Day. Rid the humidor of that scourge. And uh, this year, the emphasis or the the um, the thing that was being pushed. Uh, a little more strongly than it has in the past, maybe, although it's been around for several years. Um, the, the UN was taking advantage of the, uh, I don't even know what to call it, it's not a holiday, an observation, I guess, to uh, advocate for plain packaging laws worldwide. And we've seen these in Australia. It's it's on the on the floor, on the docket, if not in actually in law yet in the UK. I don't recall where they stand with that. And I know Canada has similar things in the works it's a current battle going on up there right now. And I mentioned it's going to come to the U S very soon. Um those of you who aren't familiar, we, we talked about this a couple of years ago now in Australia uh, with the, what was going on. There were a number of lawsuits that spawned out of it. I think they've all fizzled or, or been shot down in the time since, but basically it, it eliminates uh, uh, the ability for cigar makers in particular to put their, Logos and pictures and ads and whatnot on their boxes and forces a uniform uh, drab box. Usually it's black and white or I think some countries are olive and black. Uh, it was just basically a green box with black text on it that tells you the the year, making model, and not much else uh, of the cigars inside. And um, Australia, I believe, was the first place that kind of went down this path, and, and much of the rest of the world's following it. It, it eliminates the uh, <laughs> the artwork and the the, the uh, characteristic packaging that everybody's used to with cigars, in particular. And um, there are some exceptions to this, like some countries require graphic images of <laughs> diseased lungs and tumors and whatnot on the boxes as well. But uh, yeah these laws once they come into play uh, and, and this is a quote from an article from un.org uh, that the, the established standard that these these laws are written from to uh, to meet uh globally it's a global standard uh entail restricting or prohibiting the use of logos colors brand images or any promotional information other than the brand and product names displayed in a standard color and font. They you know, <laughs> specify color and typeface even, which is I, I don't get it all. I, I, no, no, don't get crazy with any fancy letters um, <laughs> to the thinking the the impetus behind this is the UN and powers that be in the world health organization believe or assert that this, this, Plain packaging lowers the demand for the product, which supports the ultimate goal of the elimination from the marketplace of, of pinching off the, the tobacco industry, so to speak. And like I mentioned, I'll, I'll put a, a link to this article in the, the notes this week uh, from UN.org. It claims so far, and with 34 months' history in Australia, it claims they claim to have reduced the number of smokers by a hundred thousand, which is a pretty significant shift. Uh, But the thing that jumped out at me is in recent days, I read multiple articles with claims that, you know, teenage smoking rates and the number of new people indoctrinated into smoking is, is, are at all time highs, all time highs. And, and, but at the same time, they're having this as reducing the number of smokers by a hundred thousand, which is a, a measurable difference, I, I just, it strikes me as peculiar to play both sides of that, that fence. fence. Um, uh, lost my place here. The uh, this same article had a, ended with a quote from uh, the World Health Organization Director General. I believe her name was Dr. Chan. Uh, she said, "On this World No Tobacco Day, we're telling the world to get ready for even more comprehensive tobacco control." So it's not a it's not a secret, and, you know, in the U.S. anyway, we're kind of seeing some of these things come to fruition that we've talked about so long that maybe a lot of folks had, you know, complacent may be a strong word, but a lot of folks had not really gotten involved until it actually happened. You know, then and now everybody's puckered up and scared to death over something we've been talking about for six years and should have known was coming. Um, but Canada... You're next up on the block with the plain packaging, anyway, and then the U.S. is probably right behind. And, and uh, in all honesty, it's not. It's one of those things you got to decide where you're giving an inch or, or taking them and allowing a mile to be taken. I could care less what kind of packaging the cigars come in. Uh, you know, you can't smoke a box, <laughs> or at least they lit for nothing. <laughs> You know where where's that line that okay this we're gonna just forego this and let the the I don't even know what the what's the thing I'm trying to think of let something fall where it may <laughs> What's that saying
0: uh, let it go. Let
1: whatever happened happen and you know just say. I could care less what kind of packaging you put on it because we have much bigger fish to fry in the U S right now than what kind of boxes of ours.
0: Or
1: is this something that you hang on to and say, well, I'm not going to give this because if I give this, then you're going to automatically try to get that.
0: Well, we've got, we've got, uh, two news items from now. We have a slightly related, uh, topic in regard to uh, it being an expression of speech, packaging being an expression of speech. We'll talk a little bit about that related to global premium cigars uh, later on. But I I think another topic worthy of discussing here is something, and and I don't mean to to call you out on this as being combated or me being combative towards you, but I don't know. I, I guess... I seem to have heard you or maybe I've perceived hearing you as being someone who is kind of a fan of new funky packaging bands, um, kind of an aura that comes with a release. And maybe I know I'm putting words in your mouth, but I'm trying to do so based on how I've understood what you've talked about in the past. I mean, don't you feel that you know, if you if you just see a plain gray, you know, non-dyed box around a box of cigars, something that is um, very omnipresent, it's all over the place. Every manufacturer's box looks the same. A new box isn't any different from an old box, so on and so forth. Um, couldn't that potentially make it much more difficult? for you to seek out or be aware of what that cigar is and have a, therefore have a desire to reach for it? I mean, I, I, I can get your point that you don't smoke the box and you understand that, but it seems to me that even on these airwaves, you've impressed upon us that you do kind of get caught up in that at least a little bit.
1: I, I, I do, but I'll just put a couple of little additional notes there. I'm a sucker for packaging. One time, it absolutely I <laughs> I dig
0: sure totally get you
1: whatever, and I'll buy it once. And if it's a good cigar, I'm happy. And if it's not, then I'm probably not going to buy it again. Packaging doesn't resell me, me cigars, but I have bought a lot of cigars that were poorly packaged. That were you know I, I don't know that it has stopped me. And if I walk into a store and there are 500 boxes and every one of them's identical, I'm not going to stop buying cigars because there's no pretty packaging.
0: Totally understand that. No, and it, I, and I don't mean it's, to it's, impress that upon you. And, and, and what I'm saying is,
1: yeah, packaging can sell me a cigar that first time, but a lack of packaging is not going to make me quit smoking cigars, and especially if every one of them is packaged identically it's just no longer a factor. It's no longer something that talks to me from the shelf, like a little you know, shelf talker.
0: Well, and I guess it would be logical to, to think that, you know, okay, if you can't go up there and see the pretty box with led lights and neon paint that you're not <laughs> going to reach for it. You know, I mean, I understand that, that that's just how it is today, but in two years, it, it, well 2 years and a month you'll do it a different way you know you'll you'll find another way to to realize what cigars uh you want to go out and try i mean it's not as if this would make it impossible but i i think the the fact of the matter here is that <clears throat> again something we talked about on our last show there's no real leadership amongst Cigar consumers, manufacturers, and advocates, do we as, as cigar consumers want to stand behind this mentality that, hey, fine, you can have that, but allow us to have our cigars? Do we, do we say something along those lines, or do we stand pat and not give in at all? What is the proper way for us to unify and, and stand up for ourselves? And I don't, I don't know what that is. And I know that that's really kind of taken what you're talking about and and taking a hard left. But but quite frankly, it's related. Every one of these damn stories is related to that. Where's the leadership? Who's telling us what we should and shouldn't be standing behind? Is it just as simple as fight any negative cigar or tobacco legislation? Is that what we should say? Is that realistic? Is that is that not just realistic? Is that uh, I don't want to say an educated perspective, but is that the wisest perspective? Do we have to have the mentality that we are the, not just the underdog, but we are the extreme underdog and what would be in our best interest is to concentrate on one fight and go after that solely, you know, I don't know. And, and I, I, I tend to go back to what you just said. You couldn't care less about what a, what a package looks like because you don't smoke it. But is that your, your perspective three years from now when it's draconian anti-tobacco legislation through and through and we say, who gives a crap what the box looks like? I just want to be able to still have my cigars, you know, or is, you know, I mean, there's just, this is just one small piece. It's death by a thousand cuts here. Exactly.
1: And, and, when I say I don't care about packaging, I enjoy artwork and whatnot on packaging totally I'm understand. Just at a point I don't know if that's where the the focus should be and maybe it is maybe it's I, I don't know where the line is that we just spread ourselves so thinly that we're going to lose all the battles exactly and, and, but at the same time what i' what I was getting at to jump back to the the packaging thing I don't want to give up beautiful packaging on cigars but if it's going to be given up, I'm still going to buy cigars if they're available and affordable. It will just no longer be a factor that, you know, historically, when I look back over the last 20 some odd years of cigar buying for me. That's been something, but because of the type of guy, I was that guy. You're not. I'm the guy that walks into a shop and wants to try a bunch of new cigars. I always enjoyed doing that. Not always, much of the time. So, by virtue of being that kind of guy, packaging played a part in that. Whatever jumped out at me the most on the shelf is what I would pick up and try that day. It would just no longer be a factor if every box is green with black text on it then I, maybe i got to read up ahead of time and see well i know i like these tobaccos and this new cigar has that in it so i want to find this cigar you know and i can't go by packaging it's not something that will randomly jump out at me on the shelf anymore
0: you know just it'll just yeah. be
1: a different set of criteria that influences me to pick up something different when it or new when it comes out
0: I totally get you and and i i was i was touching on that that right now we're talking about that's how we do it and we'll just adapt and we'll we'll be interested in new releases if there are new releases in another way you know I, I mean and this could realistically we could see new releases fall off a hundredfold and instead of seeing 200 cigars come out every year maybe we see two or three or five and right. so just the sheer novelty of that is going to be <coughs> is going to be a wow factor you know mm. and, and we're not going to have ipcpr because there's going to be no reason to discuss these new sales because there's not new cigars to be selling everybody's going to order what they order and what they have and we're going to hope to have a hope to have an industry not necessarily a growing industry and you know i, I i've given this a lot of thought well last week i gave it a lot of thought as we were doing some minor prep work for that supplemental FDA show that we had talked about doing. One of the big takeaways that I had was, okay, so we don't have a lot of these releases. (coughs) Pardon me. There's, there's food for thought going on right now amongst Cuban cigar, um, uh, consumers. And, and, you know, actually I think we've talked about this. You and I have talked about this, uh, in a slightly related manner. Cuba's largest years of production were approaching 200 million cigars exported in a year, and that was 15 to 20 years ago. Uh, 99, I believe, 2000 was their largest production year, and I believe it was close to 200 million cigars. Now they're roughly at 40% of that number, 30% of that number, but they're putting out better cigars, better tobacco. The regional edition releases that we've talked about are overall, Um, Overall, they're high-quality cigars, perhaps higher-quality cigars than the average Cuban cigar release. There are still great average or regular Cuban cigars to be had out there, no doubt. But the fact that they're producing 60% less than what they were producing, is that why we're getting a little bit better product? And so if we don't have all these new releases, will we perhaps have increased – quality in what we already do have think about 2007 we had i mean let's let's think of the the great awesome newer cigar well i shouldn't say newer uh, figurehead or cornerstone cigars that were around in 2007 we had tat brown we had a, a number of pepin garcia releases that were really stellar cigars We had not just tat brown. I mean, we had tat red. We had tat white. We even had tat black, I believe, in 2007. I don't know if it was early seven or not, but it's possible. Um, We had so many Fuente releases. Hemingway, Don Carlos, Opus, Añejo, some of the Sun Grown releases, some of the, the other Rosado or Candela or Funky releases. We've got 858s from Fuente. We've got a ton of those great cigars. (coughs) pardon me, we get into a lot of the general and Altidus production, which have been around for a long time. And as I'll discuss later on, there are good cigars to be had from the large manufacturers. Just because they put out 50 million, 80 million cigars a year doesn't mean that they're all crap. You know, there are some good cigars out there. If we're cutting down our new releases and we're not going to be able to have flavors and there's no chance in the world that we're going to be able to have these small cigars that have already essentially been given the death blow are we going to have better tobacco for the cigars we will get I I don't want to admit cons- uh, um, uh, to concede here but at the same time is there something that we should be rallying behind to make sure we're not eradicated and just understand that we do not have the numbers, the power, and the control nor the leadership to fight against this effectively to prevent it fully. Are there other things that we can try to secure to ensure that post-apocalyptic society will continue in a way that we all enjoy? And I don't i don't mean to be Debbie Downer. It's just we have to be planning for all scenarios, and some of those scenarios are unfortunate items such as that. I don't know. If 858 Sun Grounds get better, I'll be a happy guy.
1: Yeah those are all big ifs. I mean, who knows? I don't, I I think you, you've hit on this a couple of times in the past few minutes with the, the points about leadership. I, I don't think there is a, uh, a central leadership for this at all. I think everybody's just kind of doing their own thing. There are pockets of, you know, people circling up wagons or whatever, but there's not a single body that that is that, is the leadership for 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 this battle, for lack of a better word, for this you know, challenge to the the regulations?
0: You know what I was shocked about a week and a half ago. I believe that the CRA, IPCPR, and the CAA came out with a joint um, release commenting on the FDA's uh, looming regulation. Mm -hmm. the tobacconist association of america was not part of that i have not seen a single release from them about this and quite frankly aren't they going to be the ones to suffer the most
1: well at least as much i mean it's you know the manufacturers are what we tend to focus on but if the manufacturers are being pounded out of business, the retailers who buy and sell their product will be as well.
0: It just seems so odd to me that one of those branches is going to be potentially decimated by this if they don't adapt and start conducting business differently. If this regulation or should this regulation be well fully realized and...
1: The TAA, for all the talk that we do about it and we see about it and the special releases every year and whatnot, it's still a very, and granted, the retailers that are in TAA tend to be big retailers. They tend to be guys that have a chain rather than a single store. Although some are single store operations, there's still, it's a very small group. They're, you know, there are fewer than 80. Tobacconists in that organization as a whole, and I, I don't think they've been a part of the the cutting edge of, uh, of any of the legislative talk, frankly.
0: Oh, I don't think they have either. But does that matter? I mean, if, you know, if you're if you're a a, a small band of uh, of rebels and you're going to be put to death. Don't you still stand up for yourself?
1: Well, you (laughs) would think.
0: Not an army. I I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. I. uh, Oh, I've got a cough coming on. Talk amongst yourself. Hold on. Well, going back
1: to uh, your other comments with the leadership, and a comment that Edmund has made in the chat room, uh, with resources in particular. There's no central place that resources are being put or made available, and in no body of body of leadership that that has taken the reins to kind of even put that together, at least not publicly. I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. I, mean, I keep being told and and reading that many things are being done behind the scenes, but I don't know what that means. Um, but the, you know, aside from there not being a body a group of a, a leadership uh, group of folks that that have taken leadership if everybody does their own thing and fights little battles all over the place I think in general those battles are going to be lost and for too long everybody's gone through their own resources that are allocated and they're just gone there's there's no i have not yet seen anything that made me Feel good about any kind of teamwork within the cigar industry. It just seems like everybody's doing their own thing. And although yeah. with one of our our next uh, two stories down, our uh, there there is some rallying going on. But it, it, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's if it's enough. I don't know if it's just fluff and talk or if there's actually any legs behind it.
0: Well, I uh, I don't either. But um, let's find out. How about that?
1: Yeah, let's do it. We're going to find out about this one way or another in the days to come, whether we like it or not.
0: Yeah, yeah, there's uh, there's no doubt about that.
1: So moving on to the next story, I guess. I uh, stuck this in here because I know AQ in the chat room and a handful of other guys enjoy it. Uh, flavored cigar here and there, or always even. And one of the things that came through my Google News Feed I mentioned earlier was from the CSP Daily News, which is a convenience store uh, organization that kind of, kind of like the IPCPR of convenience stores and gas stations, and a big part of their tobacco sales are flavored cigars um, of all kinds. But typically, uh, gas station cigar, for lack of a better word, but In Florida, anyway, we had a lot of gas stations that sold acids and whatnot in those little foil packs. But anyway, they, uh, and I'll also put a link to this article in the summary. But they they mentioned that uh, up until the very end, there was language in these FDA rigs that would have been a death nail just about for flavored cigars. Uh, that essentially would have given them a, a tiny little window for post-2007 products, which would have included all the vaping products. 99% of that entire industry came along after 2007, um, but it lumped them in with tobacco products as well as you know some of the acids and whatnot. It would have given them uh, what essentially equated to a 90-day. Time frame to try and get either approval or prove substantial equivalence to some pre-existing product before that time, um, and that was stricken in the end um, and pulled out of the language before the actual rigs hit the ground running. Um, but in replacement of that, there was a, a phrase in the in there that said that their long-term goal, which long-term now is getting to be pretty short-term. Uh, is to eliminate characterizing flavors in all cigars, including cigarillos and, and little cigars. Which means if you if you're a fan of the flavored cigars, they are coming for you guys first. <laughs> but these are seen as something that appeals to the youth and you know and whatnot. So those are really in the forefront of the sights of these laws, and that that's more or less just a a warning for those of you who like those.
0: So, I hate flavored cigars. Okay, drop that out there. I absolutely do not. I shouldn't say support. I I will not stand idly by as people try to kill flavored cigars. Right. Why or right? No,
1: I said right.
0: I I think that this is just it's an abomination that we would just try to essentially destroy or eradicate that market. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense that, that someone who enjoys premium cigars can't look at this and see that this is just a stepping stone towards premium cigars because there's really no difference. Cigars have flavor. They taste like certain things. It has, been, it has been discussed since the start of time that consumables, premium consumables, spirits, cheese, fermented product, um, uh, cigars or tobacco, wine, all of those things have discernible flavors that people try to get out of them. They are not added flavors. I understand completely. I understand that flavored cigars have added components to them. But what about fortified wines? What about mulled wines? Is, is there no difference there? That's understood to be a premium adult-based product. Why should we yield and give up a flavored cigar? Yeah,
1: or wine or, coolers or a hard cider or anything.
0: Exactly. Exactly. This is this is a slippery slope. It's setting a precedent. And there's been so many damn slippery slopes over the last couple of years. It's, this is nothing different. But the point is, is that we can't stand idly by and say, well, I don't smoke acids. I smoke Liga Privata, so I'm okay. No, you're not okay. Because if they want to get rid of this, and it's for the children, it, doesn't, it does not make any sense. If you're going to support anything, make these have to be sold in a certain manner that's... Make them only be able to be sold in a certain manner, which would make them non-obtainable for children. Let's put it that way. Like, you're 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 not allowed to be underage if you enter a tobacconist. You're not allowed to sell tobacco at a location which would have people uh, younger than 18. Something like that would be a preferable alternative to essentially killing the industry like this. It's if this is truly about the children, let's let's look at how these products are obtained and uh, essentially have that discussion. And that's not a packaging discussion. That is literally a sales discussion. If something needs to be done, let's look that way and keep this industry going. Because adults yeah. should be able to obtain without without restriction. And it's 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 shameful, really. It really it, is shameful. It is,
1: and it's it's a it's a front. Uh, I'm going to say 99.9% of the time when something like this is pushed. The real problem is we don't enforce existing laws. If you have places where children have access to buying these products, there are laws in place already that forbid that enforce that, make it a ridiculously huge penalty for selling to people under age. Make, Make sure that will force people to check IDs. If you're 70 years old, show your ID. Who cares? Just enforce what's in place rather than writing some huff and puff goofball law that is not even the motivation behind it is not even what it says. The motivation behind this has nothing to do with flavored cigars falling into the hands of children. It's, it's, Hey, these, these things are being sold to kids. So let's make another law and just ban them all together, and, and, and that's not the problem. It's already <laughs> illegal for them to be sold to children just to enforce that law instead of creating another law that's just destroying an industry for you know, what otherwise is a legal product for adults.
0: Is there any attempt, is there any thought out there that you've heard of any pro-tobacco organization going out and saying, we're sick and tired of these regulations. Let's remove all brick and mortar sales of these products completely just to see what the government says.
1: No, I have not heard of such.
0: I, I I know. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a last ditch effort and you would never survive the big tobacco lobby. I understand that completely. That would never be risked because they're still very profitable. But doesn't it, doesn't it sound as if, at least from Premium Cigars' perspective, we need to have that Hail Mary sooner or later? Mm. Do we call the government's hand and say, fine, you know what? Let's not allow them to be sold in this country. Let's not allow them to be sold at, at, at shops, any sort of shops, gas stations, brick-and-mortars, anything. Do you not want that tax revenue? Or, oh, wait, you do want the tax revenue. Oh, I understand. You need this product. Okay, maybe let's handle this like an adult and come to some sort of conclusion. Because I don't think we're going to beat them. I I think we need to think outside the box, and that shouldn't be off the table. But (laughs) it's crazy, and I'm going to get lit up if people have a perspective about it. But
1: I don't know. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen.
0: No, it's not going to happen. There's no chance in hell that's going to happen. But I also... You know, I mean, it's like it's like seeing the thermite get packed onto the the Hindenburg, and then you know the guy who's doing it is smoking a cigar while it's going on. I can see that this is going to end very poorly. It's just, you know, I don't know.
1: Yeah, I don't know what the answer is. I I, I do feel like if if some somebody some. I don't even know that's an individual. If there's not some better form of teamwork in the cigar industry, it's going to be a hundred tiny little battles that are 95 of them lost, and the whole thing just crumbles. Hmm.
0: Well, I uh, I don't know what to do. I am uh, I am without a solution, as so many else are.
1: Yeah. Same here. I mean, it's funny. I keep getting little notes and emails and comments from people saying, oh, you you don't even live in the U.S. anymore. It's not a concern. Well, the concern is, yeah, there's uh, 100 cigar factories within a 10-mile radius of my house, but guess where all their business is? (laughs) Guess what happens if the U.S. market falls apart? They all go away.
0: Yeah. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. Ugh.
1: Dude, I am blazing through this cigar. Really? It's not, it's not turning, there's no harshness, nothing that tells me from the flavor that I'm over puffing the cigar, but I'm way into it.
0: I have three and a half inches left. What do you have?
1: I'm going to say less than that. Maybe three inches. <clears throat> I don't, I don't have the ruler out anymore.
0: I have three and a half inches left. I've been smoking it for an hour and twenty minutes, and it is uh there's a very delightful whiskey ish type flavor to it. I I really like that.
1: Hmm. I mine the um citrusy kind of flavor's mostly gone away. It's a little more tangy now, almost leathery in the sense of you know we've talked before about an old baseball glove this is more of a fresher leather and i don't mean that ridiculous formaldehyde kind of smell on brand new suede but it's it's not the old subtle quiet kind of flavor or kind of aroma as, as leather but it just makes me think leather when i take a puff from it and i and you know i mentioned this before the show but i want to say it again the aroma the For lack of a better word, the room aroma of this cigar is fantastic. I really like that. It's it's there's no not even a hint of being acrid. It's just it's just a very pleasant smell of of a cigar. I'm I'm digging it. Hmm.
0: I wish I have said this in the past. I wish that I was able to <clears throat> detect uh, room aroma much more than I am. If I am smoking a cigar, it's really impossible for me to really detect that aroma, which is a shame. I, I would really like to be able to do that more.
1: You just need more, more air. Your room is, is – uh, dang, I cannot think of words that saturated with smoke. Oh, really? I don't know. I'm just making this crap up. <laughs> <laughs> I just know all my doors and windows are open. There's a fan blowing across the front of me, out the window, and I can smell it just fine. I like it.
0: Well, I certainly enjoy this cigar. There's no doubt about that. See? Day.
1: Oh, well, what else we got here? We got... The first, at least to my knowledge, the first lawsuit uh, in in the face of these FDA regulations that has spawned from the premium cigar industry. There's already been a couple of uh, the vaping vapor producer producing companies that have filed suits. Altria has filed a suit because some of the new regs are going to prohibit the use of the words mild or, or light on tobacco packaging. Which, by the way, has been a law in Europe for a decade or more. Just because I remember Dunhill Light Flake was a pipe tobacco blend. They had to be changed just to Dunhill Flake because they weren't allowed to use the word light on their tobacco. And so that's coming down the pike with this FDA thing. And so Altria, the ginormous tobacco company, has filed suit over the Black and Mild. Actually, it was the Middleton owns that brand, the Black and Mild uh, Little Cigars. Um, they're, you know, claiming, hey, you can't make us stop using mild. This is the name of our brand. Uh, but yeah. anyway, um, Enrique Sanchez, uh, the owner, proprietor of 1502 Cigars, also known as Global Premium Cigars, um, has filed this this first suit uh, with uh, Frank Herrera, our friend Frank, who is lawyer to the cigar industry, just about many of them. Anyway, many of the companies and and individuals within the industry utilize him primarily for trademark work, but for this kind of thing as well. And suits amongst themselves when there's a trademark infringement and that kind of thing. But uh, I kind of read through the suit, and and there's there's quite a number of intricacies or subtleties within it, and and claims. But I kind of have sorted these into really just a couple of overarching allegations from that that's come from the suit. Um, uh, primarily the the argument is being made by Global Premium Cigars that these new regs from the FDA are infringing upon their First Amendment rights with the labeling requirements. Um, the, The claim has been made that the government has not provided any evidence that the labels are actually useful or protective of public health. And secondarily, or secondly, I guess I should say better, uh, the warning labels impede First Amendment rights by hindering the manufacturer's ability to communicate with the public through their packaging and advertising and their intellectual property, uh, which was a quote from the suit. But these the labeling requirements are, are p- pretty serious, actually. I think they have to cover 30% of two major surfaces, which, I, if I'm remembering correctly, are the top of the box and then in, inside when you open it up, when you look at the backdrop behind the cigars, I think that's the the other area that has to have at least 30% coverage by the warning labels.
0: Hmm.
1: So have that the fir- the First Amendment violation allegation, and then secondly, it, it uh, there's and each of these, like I said, has a number of intricacies underneath it that are you know various uh, finer points of what. Has been, they are uh, alleging has been infringed, but secondly, it's it's a via, it's claimed to be a violation of the Fifth Amendment rights uh, through a clause in the amendment that forbids the government from seizing property without just compensation. And we've actually had a lot of these kind of battles in Florida when I was living there with eminent uh, domain claims, you know, taking people's property and whatnot, and and the the term just compensation was usually what was up for. For debate, what the government thought somebody's property was worth and what the owner thought it was worth were usually pretty far apart. Um, but mm-hmm. the cl- the claim here is that the space occupied by these labels on the the boxes and the advertisements and and, uh, and you know other marketing materials has been unjustly seized without any kind of compensation. Um, so uh, you know, and the other thing that didn't Necessarily thematically fit with that, but was underneath this this portion uh, with this amendment argument was that the grandfather date that's been said is is arbitrary uh, that it's not there's no basis for that other than a couple of things that may have gone into you know, reality at that time. And thirdly. And relight my cigar, and I start talking again. And it'll go out. Um, it's also claimed that the uh, the provided pathway to approval is flawed and unlawful, and the pathway to approval—just what I called it—you know, th- this is kind of a complex thing based on these dates and pre-existing products. And can you prove substantial equivalence that this is actually the same product, substantially the same product as before, without any major changes? And if not, it has to go through the application and approval process. If it was post-February of 2007 until August 5th or 8th of this year, uh, then it has a certain time frame to do it. And if it's not on the market by that August date, then it has to go through the approval process before it can even be introduced to the market. Um, And the argument here is that essentially no cigar maker, in their right mind would would go after the approval process for products that came out post February of 2007 if they can't demonstrate that it's substantially equivalent equivalent to a pre-existing product because the cost is so high. The, the, the substantial equivalence procedure, according to the FDA's own estimates it would be tens of thousands of dollars at least you know at least 20,000 and up I've seen a number of different estimates at this point and no good solid information. While the alternative of bringing an entirely new product in with the testing and application and the user fees could be hundreds of thousands of dollars. So what he's what he's saying here is that if somebody has a product put in the market after February of 2007, if they can demonstrate substantial equivalence, they may can go through with that and spend 20 or to $50,000 to do it. If they can't demonstrate that and they know it, there's no way in the world they're going to even try to go through the the typical application process because it makes no sense. They're never going to make back several hundred thousand dollars on a line of cigars that that, what it would cost to to get that approved.
0: So let's play devil's advocate here. Does anyone know if um, (coughs) substantial equivalence equates to essentially country of origin? or are they getting into genus species of tobacco?
1: Uh, well, all the tobacco is the same species. The varietals are still within okay. the same species, but it's, I think it's going to come down to a matter of lab work, of what's actually in there demonstrably. <clears throat>
0: <does> so there would be absolutely no way of knowing one way or another until you've gone through the process to determine what it is. Oh wait wait wait!
1: No, you're talking about substantial equivalence. Now, I'm sorry, I'm I'm talking the approval to get a new product in. No, the substantial equivalence. I don't think we have that kind of detail yet, of what it would take to convince them this is the same product. In the you know, we can t- we can speak theoretical or in the real world, or how things ought to be. Uh, but you know, it seems like you should be able to demonstrate. Okay, this this blend had this much of that, this much of this, and this much of this other stuff. And to, this is the same thing right here. But I don't know, you know how much how much leeway is in there. How much variation is there batch to batch? Well, we ran a little short of this the and we had to substitute something else. Well, guess what? You can't sell that product. I don't know. I don't know what it's going to take to, to prove or, or convince them that this is substantially equivalent to some other product.
0: I'm uh, with so many others. I'm very interested in that. I mean I wonder if there's I don't know. I wonder if there is uh, a delineated threshold of where that that line is. You know, I wonder if there's been that line in the sand of of what is actually the determining factor of no, you have one extra variable. You are allowed 16 variables of of difference between these two products, and you have seventeen, so it needs to go through the full testing. That'll be an extra two hundred thousand dollars. Thank you. You know, like I, right. I, I wonder how that has been conveyed.
1: So. I don't know. I, I do know there was some very vague language on page wherever. I don't. I, I'd have to do some digging to find it again. That allowed for things like crop changes and adjustments to blends, but. It was. It seemed to be very intentionally vague on what would be allowable or not allowable or not, and left it up to somebody's discretion down the road.
0: I read something along the lines of crop variation year to year, um, as well. I, I I understand that. What I, I guess my main question is: is how are they literally qualifying these differences? If tobacco is the same species and the different varietals, it's obviously it's the same species, but it's variations upon that species. How is that variation determined? I, I is, don't know. You know, is, uh, uh, is there a substantial difference genealogically between Jalapin tobacco and Estelian tobacco? I I don't know if there's been a. Microbiologist who has determined that for the FDA yet, so they can disseminate that to us. How we would know, or the manufacturers, right? I and just I, have not seen that answer.
1: I, I haven't either. I don't think that answer exists today. And if the heck happens? Say it's say it is like you first mentioned a country of origin, uh, which I don't believe in any sense would be the case, but whatever happens, they have a drought. So the tobacco composition is very different that year than the others or some volcano went off. we got a fresh load of ash on top of everything that changed yeah. the final product. There's so much variation. It's just unaccountable for, I, I don't know. I don't know how now in the world they plan on managing that.
0: I don't know how you do. It has to be a qualitative thing rather than a quantitative. Yeah. And, and, do you want a biologist with the FDA making a call? What is uh, uh, in your best interest or in the smoker's best interest? I don't.
1: No, absolutely not. I mean, and <laughs> you can make a cigar that in a lab may look very similar and not taste the same.
0: Oh, let's look at vintages of wine for Pete's sake. Yeah, hmm. exactly. Well you want to hit this last story real quick?
1: Yeah, this is more or less just a PSA more than anything yeah. else. There was a, a FDA put out a webinar last week and I, I think i PCPR did kind of a follow up to it. But in that there were a few, several things that actually came up and questions about what could be done or not. But one of the things that's kind of made the rounds within the cigar industry anyway, is, is with the samples the prohibition on samples when we already knew that if your local cigar rep is hanging out in the shop one afternoon and you're there, he's not going to be allowed to give you a free sample of a cigar anymore, nor will your retailer, the guy's a shop owner, nobody like that um, <clears throat> but apparently and at least informally and not on paper and black and white, so may be subject to change, but the interpretation right now is that which is funny, the people who created the reg- regulation have to come up with an interpretation for it. Cause th- these are the people that should know exactly what the intent was, but now they got to figure out how to interpret what they've written. And yeah. Anyway, I'm getting carried away going back to my past days working with other agencies. Ludicrous. Um. Anyway, it, the, it apparently will be allowable to have promotions where if you buy this, you can get that where you know if you buy a box of cigars you get this free three sampler, three pack sampler or whatever. Uh, I believe that's gonna be allowable. Just it's the simple giving of a cigar at no charge for nothing else. It's gonna be prohibited. Now it's also been pointed out there's no minimum price assigned to these kinds of things if charge you a quarter for it or whatever, I don't know, you know how that's gonna work. I imagine if that's that becomes all the rage then there'll be a prohibition put in place for that as well. Um, yeah. where somebody creates a reg that says, Hey, if you're going to sell a sample for 25 cents, you're going to have to sell all of them for 25 cents. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I don't know. But, uh, you know, typically when there's a loophole for something, it can be closed pretty easily. Um, uh, but as it stands right now, it looks like promos will be safe at least in the near future.
0: Well, I, uh, Uh, let me ask you a question are you is this something that you've even worried about like do you feel like a collective sigh of relief is uh, going through the cigar industry because we can get a free cigar
1: I hope to heck not I mean (laughs) I hope that's not the thinking that oh well it's all okay now (laughs) if I buy five I get three free ones who cares
0: that's not that's not necessarily what i mean i, I mean even just looking at this independently of uh, uh of um all the other legislation that's going on i mean if i never got another free cigar from a, a a rep i i don't think that i would be upset i mean is this kind of a common thing like do people go to cigar stores and, and or look at going to cigar events so they can get the free cigars?
1: No, I think that's that practice has all but been phased out over the past six or eight years. I mean, there was a time when a cigar event meant you show up and somebody sticks a cigar in your hand and if you like it, you buy some. But that's mostly gone away nowadays anyway. You you come to an event and here are the specials, but they're not handing out free cigars. I, I don't think, at least in my neck of where i lived in florida that one, that's not been a thing for several years
0: no I, I i totally agree with that i mean i i quite frankly i can think of a couple a couple events that i've been to in my life that were like that i can remember a sancho panza event when the sancho panza maduro came out uh maduro i think it was sancho panza maduro maybe 2002 and uh, then an Indian tobacco when the uh, Cameroon Reserve came out. Those two events, I can remember getting free cigars when we walked in the door. But, I mean, it's been well over 10 years for both of those.
1: Yeah, and, and there's a, a guy who's part of a blogging group that the two of us are in. He brought up a, uh, something about this where he does events. And he charged for a meal and people are given a couple of cigars while they're there and he was saying, you know, this is going to kill my events. I'm not going to be able to do this anymore because we can't get free samples. And somebody said, well, just include the cigars in the admission price. And then it occurs to him, well, I can't do that because I don't have a tobacco license. I can't sell tobacco. So he still has to figure out if this just means the end of his, his business as he knows it right now.
0: Mike Stewart in the chat room is bringing up um, things like the big a big smoke type of gathering, but I mean I only really know of the big smoke in Vegas, and I mean that ten years ago, twelve years ago died. I feel like around the country when you could go to those parties and manufacturers just looked at giving you free cigars. I mean, as you oh, said, six seven years ago.
1: They still do the big smokes. It's like two hundred and fifty dollars a ticket, something like that now. And but it's just in Vegas.
0: Right? There's one in
1: New York, and oh, there is. Seems like one other one too. Mm. Well, I knew
0: they used to have them around the country. It was like a touring party, and mm-hmm. uh, I mean, those went the way of the dodo. Huh. <sighs> big smoke is in New York, as Edmund says. I thought it was Vegas, but okay, either way. I, I think it's both mm. well, uh, one other comment there's uh, a bit of an off topic uh, item to discuss for the uh, for the chat room or in the chat room. Um, Mike also Mike Stewart is talking about retrohaling a cigar and kind of getting a floral soapy flavor. Um, And there's been some discussion about that being potentially tied to San Andres tobacco. And in my experiences, it is absolutely not tied to San Andres. Now, maybe that's a flavor that some people get from that varietal or that region. But uh, I have had that uh, in very, very, very many cigars from all over the world. Um, a lot of Cuban cigars have gone through that. I can think of very specific examples. Um, in fact, on this show, we were smoking those Bolivar regional releases earlier this year, um, and we actually postponed the German, I think it was, no, it was the French uh, release, uh, the Bolivar Libertadores um, for that reason, because when I had smoked them preliminarily, they had a an extremely soapy floral flavor uh, that came through in spades, and so that's why we pushed it off. That flavor can quite often be attributed to a, a transition the tobacco is going through. So just a just a side note to address some of the chat room comments that uh, are going on. Back to regularly scheduled programming. <laughs>
1: Well, I think that's the end of the legislative news tonight. And moving right along to what we've been smoking. I see you got a couple on here. I, I don't have much of anything on here this time.
0: Well, I uh, I have one cigar from earlier today when I tested out the good old palette to see if we could even do the show tonight. And then another one from uh, pretty much the day after our last show. About 13 smoke-free days here. Uh, the oldest one, or the one that I smoked longest ago, is a two thousand and six partigas Siri du connoisseur number one um, and this is this is kind of a, a a box that I don't really share with other people <laughs> if that's a way to put it. I don't have too many cigars that I keep all for myself, but this was a box that I did. Partigas cigars are great cigars. We've talked about them a lot. Partigas Siri D number four, Partigas Lusitania, um, Partigas P2, uh, Torpedo. All these cigars are from Cuba and they are very well known, very well respected classics uh, and modern classics for some of them. Um, Well, the Siri du Connoisseur is essentially the Partigas line, but with all the fluff taken away. They're all thin. Long, just they're a series of cigars for connoisseurs. There's no other way to put it. You're going to smoke that cigar and have it be what you're concentrating on. It's not a cigar that you have on the golf course, barely paying attention to. It is a cigar that demands your attention. And I I bought a box in early 2007, um, and it was uh, fresh at the time. It was from mid 2006, June of 2006. And it was kind of uh, a little boring, not necessarily uh, bad, but certainly not a good cigar. And I smoked those over the years, one every month or two, every couple months, um, well, for the last 10 years or so. And I have to say, I think this was cigar number 23 out of that box, and I finally got a good one. Much of the box really was a letdown, but this cigar was not it was full it was rich it was sweet spicy flavored all through and through and everything that a partiga should be and it's it's always interesting to me when you have nearly every cigar in a box that's average and then all of a sudden that you know when you got one or two left you finally get a gem i i just am always left with that unanswerable question did all these cigars just need 10 years of box time or was this really the only cigar that had high quality tobacco in it? You know, uh, it's it's like that old uh, Tootsie Pop commercial with the animated owl. The world may never know. You know, mm-hmm. I, I just I just wish I knew. But great cigar, burned perfectly. Yeah, it burned a little quick actually, but it burned perfectly. About an hour and twenty minute cigar for me, um, and uh, it just was. It was terrific. It almost was a little too full. If I had to have a complaint, I would say that. It, it got to the point where I needed to have a drink, a, a sip of water with every puff because it was just palate coating. There's no other way to put it. Huh. But a good stick, man. So, I know you smoked a few cigars. Do you want to talk about the one that uh, you were enamored with?
1: Yeah, that's the only one I'm in note here. I, I uh, <laughs> As opposed to the days when a cigar shop could have been in my agenda any and sometimes every day of the week, I only get by the, the local shop here maybe once every two or three weeks these days. But I uh, picked up uh, Ramon Iones this week, and I I'm not the... Vitola Meister that you are, but it was, it was a Robusto kind of size. Um, I don't know what they call them.
0: It's a true Robusto. It's called the super select. I'm sorry. Especially selected.
1: There you go. That's what it was. Um, And I have had a couple of these in the past and, and enjoy them immensely. That's why I got one this time. But this one was very different in its presentation and its flavor. Um, it, and I sent you a little text while I was smoking it or maybe right after smoking it, I guess, that um, it, how uncharacteristic it was. It was I was gra- trying to grasp words and I said malted barley. But what I really meant was peat. And I remember when we go through the distilleries, when we went through the distilleries in Scotland, the, the aroma of peat where they were, you know, they they malt the barley, let it start to get ready to sprout, and then they roast it over these peat fires to stop that process because it will devour all the sugar in the grain if you don't stop it. So they roast it to kill it, to kill them, so it doesn't sprout a leaf, which would ruin the entire batch of malt. But that those peat fires, you can smell them throughout the countryside, and it's just not something that I normally experience in a cigar, but... Man, if I could reproduce that every time, I don't know that I would buy too many other different kinds of cigars. It was so good.
0: I, I, uh, I actually think I said this line a couple uh, weeks ago on a show, but our website says that I've had 50 perfect cigars in my life or something like 50 perfect cigars, and I'm always searching for the 51st. Well, I can guarantee you there are more Ramonionis specially selected on that list of fifty, than probably any other cigar in the world. Wow, they are classics. Classics.
1: Yeah, this this would be one for me. I mean, it was phenomenal. Loved it. I wish they were all that way.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, even I don't know why this one was any different. I mean, this came with the same box as the other two or three I've had.
0: Well, uh, aging. I mean, it's it's well, the beautiful so side I, of it.
1: The box sitting on the same place as the shelf. I I have not had possession of it, so it may be they've sold a ton. <laughs> Maybe everyone's been out of a different box. I don't know. I pick them up out of a box in the same place.
0: Hmm. Well, I am absolutely someone who subscribes to the theory that you know what a, a good cigar really doesn't matter about the blend if you get a cigar that is on that is just brimming with flavor i i i really don't know if blend matters i i don't know if you know, like i I'll give you an example i typically don't like upman cigars generally don't there's a kind of a generic clean tobacco flavor that isn't really I don't know. It it isn't really enjoyable to me. I'm not going to, you know, blow chunks or anything, but I just don't ever find it to be great. Well, I have had a a series of Upman number 2s, which is the Torpedo, that are some of the more memorable experiences I've ever had with a cigar. I've had vintage Upman Naturals. It's uh, a Cuban cigar from the 70s, sealed in aluminum tubes, that were and their machine mates that were amazing just amazing because they were smoked at the absolute perfect time they had evolved perfectly and so if you get a cigar that has that perfect evolution to it man oh man it it's uh it's just a completely different animal it's like you know it's like uh grabbing a star in super mario brothers you're just it's just invincible nothing can beat it it's just perfect
1: <laughs> you know, I, I'm that frou frou guy that can attribute many things to how good a cigar is, including your, your mood, your environment, all these things. But it was just another run of the mill day. There was nothing spectacular about my state of mind or the environment, the setting, or nothing. It's just a fantastic cigar. Hmm. The uh, only other thing I've had new was uh, a little brand I know absolutely nothing about. I got two of these cigars, and Bob McDuffie Specials is what I'll call them. It was Florida Pinar, and so I will withhold much comment uh, until I've smoked the second one. But to be honest, the first one didn't didn't wow me, and wasn't the first cigar of the day, so that's why I'm a little bit leery about saying too much about it, but we'll see. It, it, it was, I think I put in the note to you that it was a decent enough cigar, but it wasn't a life changer.
0: I think that's exactly what you said.
1: Yeah, but we'll see. I got one more.
0: And by Bob McDuffie's special, what do you mean?
1: He hated cigars with the word floor in them. Oh.
0: Oh okay, that's what you mean, yes, yes, he did yeah he, floor day or floor dell, and uh what was the other one?
1: I don't remember he had a number of things he didn't like
0: he did yeah
1: uh, what God is she bless him.
0: well i uh I have Another interesting cigar. Um, Let me get to my notes. This is, uh, speaking of Bob McDuffie, this is, uh, well, it's a value cigar. It's not something that uh, I've talked about a ton on the show. And it's not really anything that's limited or difficult to find. It is the Punch London Club. Um, These cigars were, I believe, an unbanded back in... 2010, 2009 on Dog Watch that um, I was lucky enough to be a part of. I don't know if you were. For some reason, I think you may have also been, Kip.
1: No, I wasn't even watching Dog Watch that far back.
0: Really? Wow. Well, I don't think. You know what's the sad thing, too? Uh, in a slightly related note, okay. I don't. I don't think you can find the old Dog Watches online anymore. I think Bob no. took them all down.
1: Yeah, they've been gone for months.
0: Yeah, oh, uh, yeah, if not longer than that, I seem to remember I looked a while ago.
1: Yeah, he uh, he kept them up for a long time, but hosting space costs money, so yeah. I assume he just let it lapse.
0: Yeah, it's a shame. Yeah, but that uh, has a place in podcast lore, quite frankly, not just cigar lore. Absolutely. Um. Well, uh, so this uh, uh, Punch London Club is—it's one of those cigars that really kind of prompted me to have the the—I don't know if it's the discussion, but just to essentially bring up the descriptor and essentially coin the phrase "new school Nicaraguan flavor." Um, these lunch clubs are very reminiscent to almost a, um, a I don't think it's so much Pepin, I think it's much more uh with Illusione that flavor profile, there's something that's in line that kind of cements this idea of of a newer blending style and I don't know how long these lines have been available for, I don't know if this is something that essentially is just my way of classifying the the profile, but um, it there's nothing scientific to it, but these cigars taste like kind of the, the flavor profiles that have emerged in the last 10, 12 years out of Nicaragua. They're terrific. They're absolutely terrific. Sweet, not overly strong. Now I will say that I have seven of these little bad boys. Um, and they're a little harsh right now i'm going to give them uh, six months or so to 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 simmer down a bit, but they're just great cigars they' they're I'm finding myself having a difficult time continuing to talk about them because of the colors and modifications you're making to my notes. <laughs> On the computer. (laughs) But uh, right now I have bright pink highlighting with italicized yellow underlined bold uh, words on the notes for the lunch club.
1: (laughs) You were saying London club and then lunch club. I didn't know which one it was.
0: I'm sorry. They're London club. Uh, (laughs) If I put lunch club in there, I apologize. They are London club. Um, (laughs) You're so easy. Well, I'm looking at that going, huh, Kip's highlighting. I wonder if I spelled something wrong. Huh, Kip's highlighting. I wonder if he's going to give me a note. Huh, Kip is becoming a 1980s Cyndi Lauper fan with his color and font preferences. What is going on? Uh, Anyways, good cigars. Um, They are, I would say, slightly rushed to market, but... um, The profile is there. They're just a little muddy. They're a little... Not muddled. They're just dirty. They need a little bit of time to settle down, I'd say. Great sticks. Cool. Yes, sir.
1: I don't think I ever smoked that one. I definitely was not uh, a part of dog watch that far back. That was before my time.
0: Mm. Well, you are allowed. We've been recording for uh, well over an hour and a half. What do you say we, we save this next letter here that we've got? Yeah. Um, and I um, actually have one additional listener email that is not put in here uh, for next show. It was a bit of a topic.
1: Cool. I like it. It ain't like this legislative business going to go away in the next two weeks.
0: No, sir. No, sir. And uh, the listener email is, is a very interesting one uh, regarding... Uh, all the FDA regulation, the uh, this on the legislative side of those regulations um, relating to uh, Congresswoman's response to the CRA's um, form letters. So that'll be an interesting one to talk about. I look forward to it.
1: Yeah, same here. Well, you got any more comments about this here, Seagar?
0: Well, I uh, I let her go out earlier, so I apologize for that. I am going to light it back up and try to enjoy the last two inches or so that I've got here. Um, I, I'm interested to hear uh, what your thoughts are.
1: Well, I am down now to inch and a half, maybe. No more than oh. that. Um, and it's still a good cigar. I, the, the only thing that's changed that could even be construed as negative is it's getting a little hot um, but the strange thing is it's not hot to touch. I mean, I can hold it right on the burn line. No problem. No burn. Uh, but the smoke itself is hot. It's, it's, it's hot on the palate. Um, but flavors still there. The sweetness is dissipated almost entirely. Uh, the, the brightness, the, the citrus, which was really sweet. That got a little more tangy as time went on has really, um, been reined in a notch or two uh it's it's still there but it's not as prominent definitely not as bright and i'm that guy that uses stupid descriptors but it's not a bright flavor but still very enjoyable i'm digging it i'm gonna till it's uncomfortable
0: well i completely agree with you about this no longer being bright that is I would not have picked up on it, but when you when you say that there's no doubt in my mind that that is exactly the right way of describing it. It is just no longer bright it's a little I never really got the leather flavor or aroma that you've talked about um, but I will say that that I've had kind of a uh, a savory characteristic that's been there and continues to be um, it's a little. Uh, let me let me you take another puff here, real quick. <laughs> Shall I hum? No, no, I've I've taken the puff. It's still kind of a a sweet, spicy flavor. Um, I it's not overly sweet. Don't get me wrong, but it has a baking spice intensity to it that I I wouldn't necessarily equate to being baking spice sweet but baking spice as in kind of the aroma of nutmeg perhaps where it's it's just slightly sharper it's slightly associated with something a little sweeter it's not hot spice like cinnamon or kind of a a little bit of a funk like cloves or allspice i think it's it's a bit more like nutmeg to me in uh, how the flavor comes across Um, And it's interesting. I I like it at this point. It has definitely transitioned from the second third to the final third out of the kind of tangy whiskey flavor that I had discussed uh, or that I had brought up. Um, And uh, the brown sugar is all but gone. So I I like it. Um, I still find it to be very enjoyable. And uh, save for a few uh, minor... Palette, I don't know, uh, disruptions that I don't necessarily think were the cigar's fault, I plan on smoking this uh, through and through a bit more.
1: Mm Excellent. Well, I reckon we're about ready to wrap this one up.
0: Yes, uh, I think so as well.
1: Well, folks, as always, we certainly appreciate you tuning in. And if you come back next time for episode 146, we'll be smoking... The Ezra Zion burnt ends uh, which is one of the cigars that spun out of uh, right about the time I moved actually last late last spring of 2015 uh, late spring early summer <clears throat> they developed a model as part of their business of releasing little pieces of batches of cigars that were produced for one reason or another or whatever and they didn't have enough for a full line and they started selling these direct to market themselves, direct to the consumer. And I ordered a few of them. Actually a, f- a few different blends that they put out and and, and they range anywhere from 200 to a thousand cigars in a run. I think the burn ends was a thousand. Um, and uh, this was actually the one that I enjoyed the most from the ones that I tried at the time. And uh, we'll see how they are at uh, a year later because I haven't smoked one since. So, I don't think I have anyway. I I think these only ones I had left are still in there for the show. Hmm. So that'll be in a couple of weeks. We invite you to come back and join us again. And uh, in the meantime, we'd love to hear from you. If you want to email us at Craig at halfashed.com or Kip at halfashed.com. And you can find us on all the normal social media things. We're out there, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and, of course, our own little forum. Uh, which uh, is a fun little place to hang out. So we invite you to come over there and sign up with Profile and hang out with us. You can, at the very least, you can make fun of me.
0: <laughs> well, i uh, I didn't have uh, a dedication prior to tonight's recording, but as we've progressed on and as we've talked, I, I think that it just has become a little obvious that. Uh, A gentleman by the name of Enrique Sanchez uh, needs to get a little bit more props from me, needs to get a little bit more props from all of us. Uh, He, as we have previously discussed, is the owner of the brand 1502 and the overall uh, organization of Global Premium Cigars. He has brought a, uh, a lawsuit up with the FDA, as we had mentioned about an hour ago. And though I don't necessarily know if this is the the be-all and end-all, the fix that we're all looking for, I think that it's a direction. I think that it's leadership, and I think that it's something that we should stand behind if for no other reason other than a united front and support for a brother amongst the Leaf uh, to let him know that there are those of us behind what he's done who knew nothing of it prior to it being discussed, who now stand tall with him shoulder to shoulder and uh, offer up our services. If there's anything that we can do, I would imagine I speak for Kip in saying that if if a half-ash could be a hand, we'd care to lend it, and we would feel honored to lend it because this is something that we're passionate about and that we truly care for. So to Mr. Sanchez, this one goes out to you. And all of you who have shared this evening with us, I want to say once again, As always, in the words of our great mentor, Mr. Dale Roush, good night, everybody, and thanks for listening.